Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan, presented by Michelob Ultra Pure Gold. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 33, Larry Bird. We're shaking up the format today and introducing our first monthly regular series with none other than Pat O'Connell. Pat and I have known each other for a long time. The man is an institution unto himself in surfing. The Momentum Generation, Endless Summer 2, the CT, the Realm, Hurley. He was our guinea pig guest on the very first recording of the lineup, and he's the WSL's SVP of tours and competition. In addition to getting to work with Pat on a ton of projects at the WSL, he and I are in constant communication regarding everything happening in surfing. So it is with great joy that I can confirm the seduction of Pat O'Connell to join the lineup as a monthly regular. The formats for these episodes will be slightly different. We're going to break down the news of the day. And today we have made some news at the WSL with our 2020 and beyond announcement. We'll play a new game called the lineup time machine, which I personally had a ton of fun on. And we'll answer listener mail. If you enjoy the show, we would really appreciate a review and a five-star rating in the iTunes store. It only takes a few seconds, and it really helps the show spread, allowing us to have a lot of fun like we did in today's episode. All right, please enjoy the lineup's low-tide conversation with lineup regular Pat O'Connell. The good old clap, take one. That's right. (laughs) How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once, let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. It's out of your boxes. The Pat O'Connell in his triumphant <laughs> return to the lineup, this time at low tide. How are you doing today, buddy? Where are you? Who are you with? I am absolutely solo in Dana Point, California. Um, social distancing to its finest, Dave. <laughs> Did you serve? Uh, yeah, there's literally no serve? one here. <laughs> yes. That's a rarity in your house. Yeah. Yeah. I did surf. I, I surfed um, really average waves, not like the good waves that are happening around the world. Um, I surfed my beloved Salt Creek, but I got to wear board shorts, so that was exciting. It's been, I think it's 90 degrees right now in my house, so... I have a wet scarf on my neck so I don't overheat during this uh, conversation. Now, you are, you are kind of the, the central nervous system of the global surfing world in your position. You're tapped into everything, <laughs> everything digitally and via the interwebs. And do you think that you just think the waves are bad by comparison because now you know how good they are in other places? Like if the waves were doing what they're doing today, like 20 years ago, you'd be like, yeah, I had fun. Yes. Well, your expectations are, I was probably 30 pounds lighter and um, way more excited than I even am now, even though I've got a full cup of coffee in front of me. Yeah, man. I mean, just, I'm sitting here right now and I started looking at, uh, I watched this this clip just now of Jack, uh, Jack Robinson winning at sunset last year, the Red Bull no contest thing. And it was just like, Holy cow, that actually happens. People ride waves like that. I haven't haven't seen one of those for a while. And that that was always my big revelation starting on tour was like we would go somewhere where it was like legitimate, like it was West Oz or something. And you'd see like little kids just like paddling out and like dominating the box. And I'm like, I don't think we do the same thing. Like whatever you're calling surfing is not what I do. Like it's just it feels like a completely different thing. Did you see that uh, edit that I, I don't know how to, the Kale Walsh? Oh my God, I think that's the a, soft serve. Unbelievable. Like, and just 
the the things that he's doing and and where he's attempting maneuvers. It's like uh, Mike Parsons and I were were talking about it. He had just watched it and he called me just like screaming, just going, "Dude, what the hell is that? Like, look at the ways these guys are riding. It's just yeah, progressive that type of surfing." has really, I mean, it, look, it's one thing to catch those waves, but to perform the way those guys are performing on those waves, uh, they make it look like a two foot day at Salt Creek, but those waves have consequence. I mean, there's, there's one particular wave. He does a big giant alley-oop and then comes down and does a couple just whoop, whoop, and then does a, a reverse right on the closeout. There, there has to be like two inches of water between him and the bottom and he just sticks it. And well, okay. that, and that's kind of part of it. Like growing up in West Oz, he's like, yeah, if I'm going to like perform with reckless abandon, like I have to do it on like waves of consequence. Whereas like you and I grew up surfing like Dana Point and like beach breaks in San Clemente and stuff. And so we're like, yeah, yeah, I feel comfortable at like two foot strand or something. And then we're like, what are you doing out there? That's bananas. <laughs> that's exactly right, man. I guess it's just, yeah, product of your environment. Totally. So I'm really excited to have you on um, as a monthly regular now for the podcast. I mean, from the momentum generation to Endless Summer 2, the championship tour, the realm, Hurley, and now <laughs> we're buddies in the trenches at the WSL. So I think these monthlies are going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I think you've done an amazing job. And like I was saying before, is uh, I think I stuffed uh, my opportunity day one. Um, so I'm excited to get back on. I listen to podcasts like religiously. And so um, I probably won't listen to this because I'm on it, but that's okay. <laughs> well, that's right, because you were the first guest we tried out. And then I think we ended up releasing that one first episode of 2020. But um, our producer, Ryan Fawcett, he's in the naughty corner because in promoting this podcast, he, he posted a photo of both of us on that couch day. And I think we'd like both surfed. And we're not, it's not a flattering angle of both of us. I don't know if there are many, but... I was like, okay, wait, I said, we got to update this photo. (laughs) I'm glad a lot's changed. I'm glad we get another crack at it. So our plan will be each month and we'll kind of break down, you know, news of the moment, chop it up with our opinions. Um, And today is perfect because the WSL has dropped some major news that um, both you and I have been working on for for quite some time. (laughs) Feels like a thousand years. Um, So I guess the first thing that we're, we're dropping today is that the 2020 championship tour is canceled. Can you can you break down um, kind of the trajectory of that decision from your perspective? Yeah, Dave. I mean, I think, look, you you said it. We've been going back and forth through it for, uh, for months. Um, I think the first event when we decided to not go to Snapper Rocks, I was still hoping we were going to Bells. That's how silly uh, this whole thing was, you know, and how little we knew. Like, it was like, wait, we're really going to cancel? And, and so obviously what started as like a, a small change has now become like, okay, shit, like the world has absolutely changed around this. Um, you know, we're, we, uh, we're blessed in a lot of ways because of surfing can be somewhat social distancing. Mm. Uh, we, while we get crowds to the beach, it's not like an environment like a football game or a baseball or whatever it is. Um, or certainly a stadium like basketball. So we have, uh, there are some benefits where uh, it goes a little south for us is just travel. Mm. And um, we have surfers coming from every different part of the world. And global travel is almost impossible. In fact, today, I just started to look into like, hey, if I wanted to go to Rio, for example, you can't get flights until October, 
right? So like you start to kind of look at this and go, okay, the way the world is working, we need to be uh, as much as we can ensure safety for the surfers um, and not be reckless, which is important. And for us also, the big thing is like, hey, let's let's focus on something that we think we can do and not just be hopeful and just kind of drag people out. And I think when we started this process, I looked at it a little bit like when we go on hold at a surf event and people are watching the waves and they're going, dude, there's no way these guys are going to run. Why would they just not call it off? Well, I think that behavior, we got to a point, we just said, okay, we need to, you know, set up a new line in the sand and that is uh, Hawaii this winter. Yeah. And I don't think anyone's surprised by that announcement today, because I think a lot of the conversations we were having both in the building and outside the building were around like, OK, well, at what point like does a tour not really justify having a world champion? Like how many events is sort of the the zero barrier for being like, well, it's not really a tour that decides a world champion. And I know early on we were working on like, well, if we can get started in the middle of summer, which we should be probably right around now. Can we start jamming some of those earlier events into sort of a back-to-back schedule? But as you said, it's it's less about the safety situation now and more about just the international travel restrictions, you know, and just getting a global set of surfers around the world to surf in these events. Yeah, Dave, that's the other thing, too, is that even when we started talking to the surfers about these potential changes, nobody really felt great about just jamming events together for a season. And you know, you start to get into shorter waiting periods with maybe not that great of waves. And um, it really doesn't pencil out very positive for anyone. It just sort of feels like what it is. You know, you just be jamming stuff across the line. And, you know, I think it's the right approach just to kind of like, hey, let's take a breather. Let's make sure everybody's safe and healthy. And then let's let's look at it again when we get, um, you know, into fall. So you mentioned uh, Hawaii is now our tentative start for the 2021 tour. We're going to try to use our Maui window in November 2020 and our Pipe Masters window in December 2020 to kickstart that 2021 season. But the seasonality of the championship tour has changed. That's another big thing about our announcement where from now on, we're going to aim to start in Hawaii. The current schedule is Hawaii, Portugal in February. Uh, the Australian leg of the Gold Coast, Bells Beach, and Margaret River, uh, Rio de Janeiro, Surf Ranch, G-Land, J-Bay, uh, Tahiti for the men and the women, and then the WSL Finals in September. And and that's the plan moving forward is that seasonality between the championship tour now shifting kind of from, from what it was to moving forward a, a January to September window, and then that Challenger Series occupying that August to December window. Yeah, I mean, I think that... Um that in itself is a huge announcement. Just that right there, if we're able like to get that done, you know, for a surf from the surfer standpoint, uh, it's exciting because I think every surfer when they get onto the tour, their focus should be to try to win the world title. I mean, everybody, uh, the thirty-six boys and eighteen girls should be showing up like with one goal in mind. Uh, inevitably, what happens? A couple losses change and. You know, the way uh, the, the previous system had been, they'd have to intermix other qualifying events and sort of keep their rating up through the year. Um, and, and what would happen is, you know, they might do 17, 18 events in the year, but they're so sporadic and, and uh, targeting some sort of set of rankings or how their performance is going is, is really tough. And so um, what we've what we've come up with is just focusing on championship surfing, focusing on qualifying surfing. And uh, the beauty of it is it really allows like 
a person who is maybe a little bit more unknown to get onto the challenger season and, and qualify within a year. That isn't really an option today. It, it's very rare for that to happen. And the amount of uh, eyeballs and everybody focusing on, you know, whatever that boy or girl is doing really happens because you're not distracted by watching the championship tour at the same time. Yeah, I think, you know, getting to tag along with you on, I don't know, 400 surfer calls um, to walk yeah. them through these changes, which are all really significant and getting their feedback. This felt like a huge advantage almost across the board where people were like, I love this because, you know, between these months, um, you know, January to September or in, or in next season's case, kind of November, December to September, I, I as a CT surfer can focus on the CT and can focus on beating the best surfers in the world at the best waves of the world with this specific format. And I can tune my body and my boards to, to that approach, you know? Um, and then after that, if it doesn't work out or if I fall off tour, then I can focus on the qualifying series, which is just a different, there's a different psychology to it, you know? And I think you've seen it with surfers in the past who have tried to do both and kind of like, not done well at either, right? Because they're struggling on the CT and then they go on the QS and they man they struggle there and they have to go back on the CT all, all in the span of a few weeks or in a few months. And then you've seen surfers who have tried to kind of commit to the one or the other. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. But I think, yeah, everyone's pretty excited about the seasonality part and also the ability that, you know, if it doesn't work out on the CT for them, they still have a shot at performing in a concentrated challenger series uh, window and, and getting back on the CT without having to wait a whole year like they would now. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a huge one, you know, and again, like we saw last year, I'll use Connor as an example, Connor Coffin. He had put all his time and energy in, into the CT and performed decent. Like, you know, he had uh, close heats, a couple heats didn't go his way. All of a sudden at the end of the year, um, results could have gone poorly. A couple people got through some heats at pipe and Connor would have found himself on the wrong side of this. And it would have been like, wait, he's one of the best talents on the tour, completely unsuspecting. He could have found himself on the on the opposite side of this. And, you know, if that were to happen again in the in this new iteration, he would know, okay, cool. I just need to do the back half of the year. And I'm gonna I I'm a good enough surfer. I'm gonna find my way back on, which is ultimately what we want. We want to have the best surfers on tour. And we feel like it's going to allow them to focus on the thing. That they're doing at the time. A, a huge part of the CT is not only the world's best surfers, like you've been talking about with Connor, but the world's best waves. And it, despite kind of a significant calendar shift, it is amazing that we were able to retain pretty much the entire schedule, um, almost in, in its, its same spot. The, the big shifts being, um, you know, Surf Ranch uh, moving from, from September to, I think, uh, June. Um, which the waves are way better there. Way, that's right. <laughs> Ways are way better in June at Surf Ranch for sure. Um, but the other big ones being um, Portugal moving from I think October to February and then moving forward potentially in 2022, um, you know, Maui and Pipe are basically the Hawaii CT events moving into that late January, February uh, spot. Can you talk quickly about the, the quality of waves in Portugal shifting seasons so significantly? What can people expect uh, heading to Portugal in February compared to what we used to get in October? Yeah, look, I think what was sort of an eye-opener, Italo, after he won the world title this year, he spent some time in Portugal. And if you guys saw any of the clips, he's getting barreled. And, you know, Portugal is, uh, is certainly for Europe, has more of the Mediterranean type of uh, weather. You know, it's cold, but not, um, you know, it's not like France. There's not snow on the beach and things like that. 
you actually do get those offshore uh, conditions, kind of, I would say, similar to California, um, but they just get lot and lot of swell. Um, and so, you know, Portugal as a destination, there are so many good waves around that coast. It's not just Benish, it's Aracera. It's, I mean, there's just absolutely world-class waves. So the intent is to sort of broaden, broaden our scope a little bit and be more about like, let's show the world how good the waves are in Portugal. Yeah. And, and how much colder can we anticipate it's going to be, uh, you know, in February? You know, I think the water, I think it's like California, like, you know, um, uh, and for people that aren't in California, you know, the water's probably the mid to low, mid to high 50s. You know, it's a 4.3 in boots, maybe, or 3 mil in boots. Uh, depends uh, what which way you like to run it. But I think that's probably it. It's, it's um, certainly not... Uh, it's probably, uh, you know, you might actually draw some car- uh, comparisons to J-Bay. Uh, I haven't been there in the winter, but that's kind of what uh, my understanding is. That makes sense. And then the Hawaii shift, it's not a significant shift kind of moving from late November, December to late January, February. But, you know, in addition to being a resident of Southern California, you're also a resident of the North Shore of Hawaii. I got to stay at your wonderful place uh, across the road at <laughs> V-Land for a few nights. What what do you think in terms of that that primary wave at pipeline? Like, what would be the key differences if you had to shift it a few months? Is it bigger? Is it nastier? Is it better? Is it worse? I just think uh, I think historically you would say it's it's better. Um, we've been very lucky in the window that we've had for the last few years, but there are the years that you get a lot of north swell, and, and that's, that's the not December window you're, you're talking about right now. Yes, yeah. the December window. And, and so I think by moving it later, we uh, typically get more west swell. Um, there's time to kind of take the sand off the reef, which is a really good thing for pipe. You know, uh, pipeline is a fickle, is, is certainly a fickle wave, but I, I do think historically that January, February time um, is more consistent. Uh, and you, you know, you, you deal with less negative variables than you would um, in that December period. That makes sense. And, and the other big addition to the, the schedule for the CT is that the women after, I think, 15 or 16 years will be returning to Chopu uh, for the first time yeah. alongside the men. So h- how has that conversation gone down in the ones that you've been a part of? I've been a part of a few. It's, it's always interesting. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of girls that are really excited. There's some girls that are probably a little apprehensive and mainly because they, it's not like a place that they free surfed. Mm. And so the girls are very mindful of, uh, they want to perform really well. They 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 understand the opportunity and uh, what the platform and stage is. And so I think there's a million great days out at Chopu. I think it's for the average sort of person that hasn't been there. There's a lot of fun four to five foot days. And I think probably you know picking those days out so the girls can get their you know feet in the wax and it's not like you know Doctor Death days. Um, you know, look, let's be honest, those, those really big, scary days are scary for the men as well. <laughs> and it's not, uh, this isn't, we're not picking on anyone. It's, it, it's, uh, it's a really heavy wave. But I would also say there's a lot of really amazing days that, that um, I think they're going to shine. And, and it won't take long. The talent is there. It's just a matter of, I mean, we've seen some of the, the young girls going out there. And uh, Tatiana got waves out there last year that were amazing. So Carissa has been practicing. Um, I just think it's a matter of time before they really stand out. For sure. I mean, that's that's one CT that I've uh, been able to go to for 13 years. So I've, I've gotten to spend a lot of time there. I love it. And uh, I was actually able to talk to um, three of the CT women on this podcast about that potential possibility a few weeks ago before uh, before we announced it officially today. And it was 
Tyler and Carolyn and, and Tatiana, all three of whom have been there. And they kind of expressed the same thing. They said, look, like fundamentally, it, it, it's obviously a very serious way, but it's not outside our skill set. It's just a matter of getting familiar and comfortable out there. And as we were talking about it, I, I was kind of glancing back to when I started going there kind of in the, the mid oddies and it'd been on tour for a while, but a lot of the young male surfers or like a lot of the rookies or kind of second, third year surfers, even some of the, the ones that have been on tour for a while, they were not comfortable out there. You know, it's a classic, like we've been doing those WSL vault shows on the website, like for a few weeks now. And I remember we watched one from 2005 and like the waves that were getting nines would not be fours today, you know, like the level it's just a comfort and experience and familiarity thing that goes out there too. And I think it was Tatiana or something that said, you know, I think, I think, you know, we, we might be kind of nervous if it gets really big. And I'm like, you know what? I was there last year. I've been there for 13 years. Everyone gets nervous when it's big. Like, like the jitters just before the say, big day last year going around the point were palpable. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's across the board. I, it's exactly right. Um, there's something you know, I think it's turned for the men from being jitters of like, oh God, oh God, to like, oh my God, I could get the best wave of my life. I think that's the interesting sort of performance tweak that you've seen um, where it was a little bit apprehensive to where it's like jitters are like, tomorrow could be the best day of my life. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. And, and as you said, like over, even in the free surf from Tatiana last year to I think Carolyn Marks earlier this year, late last year, Tyler's been there. A lot of the women on tour have been making the journey there on their own to get time there. Um, it is going to, it has been approved as the French Olympic venue in uh, 2024. So I think some of them are doing it in advance of that. And that'll probably pay off because now it's on the CT calendar. I think Kelly came out today uh, or a couple of days ago um, and talked about a bid for um, the 2024 Olympics at Chopu. Um, at least that was going around on the thread. I, I sort of just browsed through, but he was on TV talking about the 2024 Olympics. So that's right. Maybe Kelly Slater will be there. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I mean, you're on all the secret momentum generation threads, so you'd have the inside track, <laughs> but my read on him is he's nowhere near being done with competitive surfing. I don't think so either. So the other big thing that we we announced today as far as the future direction of the CT also included a mid-season cut starting in 2022. Now, the cut as it's designed now is to happen at some point in the middle of the season. It's to reduce the field a certain percentage, um, to narrow it down for the back half of the season before we get to the world title event, the WSL finals at the very end. Now, you and I have both been on a lot of these surfers calls that is probably the stickiest point for most people. 100%, yeah. Look, and there's some, there's always- uh, Daddy, I'm oops. back home. Oops. <laughs> Sorry, we just had an uh, interruption. I don't know if we- <laughs> Bring him on. Daddy, I'm back home. Um, yeah, look, I think there was some, some, a lot of feedback that was both positive and negative, you know? And, and I think um, if you sort of work backwards from, uh, and I think this is how we approached it is that, Today, uh, we run events in sort of five to six days. That's how, how long a CT event runs. It's 70 heats and, you know, you start to do the math and it's, it's, it's a lot of surfing. We have 54 surfers going around the world. We've realized that people, the, the focus of five to six days, it's hard to keep people's attention. It's truly, you know, it's probably hard to keep our attention in five to six days. And so what we did is 
we only have a couple of things at our disposal, right? There's format, heat times, all these sort of uh, things. And then quite honestly, there's number of people. By reducing from 54 to 36, uh, which is both men and women, we can run in three days. And what that does for us is it allows us to really be a little bit more focused on wave quality. We can go to new locations. If I'm being super critical of the WSL, I would say that we have largely stayed pretty the same. Like the, the venues, the, the excitement that, that GLAN got was because it was like, oh my God, there's something new. Mm. Um, I think that there is a huge premium on historic value, which I think it sh- there should be, but I think we need to create new. And so by uh, reducing the number of surfers, it allows us some flexibility uh, and potentially opens up places that we wouldn't be able to go to under the current model. And so that's kind of how we got there. And I think when people understood, they went, oh, okay, yeah, I do see that. Um, I think Michelle Brez said a couple of times on our call, he's like, hey, can't we find a way to do more strike mission style events? And the, the answer was, hey, we, whether that's the right or wrong answer, or, or approach 54 surfers in six days, you can't strike mission. You know, like mm. it, 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 it takes, it, it changes everything, but a smaller number of surfers and, and picking out swell windows um, is, is where it's at. And, and I think we've seen that, you know, uh, last year in Tahiti, the, the last two days were absolutely spectacular. If we can kind of load up uh, as, as much as we can into, betting on ourselves and giving ourselves the best odds that we we can i think that's where uh, that's where we're focused yeah and i think what you touched on is right you know i think all the designs that we're talking about are kind of informed innovation you know we're using all the insight and data and experience and feedback from all of our stakeholders we can to make these changes which is creating the newness but it's also providing this level of stability moving forward that we just we've never had you know and and yeah. I've been here for 15 years and it's every 6 months we're changing things you know and I think what that fails to accomplish for a lot of us you know whether you're a surfer or someone in the media or a fan or a staff is you don't develop these operating rhythms for your life you know like you don't come to expect when the world title's happening because it might happen over the course of four months. You don't know, right? But now we're saying it's going to happen sort of in this week almost every year. You don't know when sort of the mid-season reduction is going to happen. You don't know if the CT schedule is going to be stable. And I think by stabilizing these things around informed innovation, it, it benefits everyone so much more. It might feel harsh, obviously, because I think that the tension point for a lot of the surfers is around survival. You know, they look at it and be like, well, you know, now I got to fight through another qualifier midseason. But ultimately, that might be better for everyone down the track, especially when you start balancing out with the Challenger Series. Yeah, look, I, I think you're right, Dave. Um, and and uh, I think you said it is like it's another qualification in the middle of the season. What we looked at is like it's truly it's another performance uh, sort of cut. Um, and so now it's like every heat matters from uh, the first heat of the year to the last heat of the year. Every heat matters. And, you know, I, I would tell you, so I was on tour for a long time and never challenged for a world title, always sort of just uh, was was making up the numbers. At a certain point, once you've made your number, you're sort of just there, right? Like the idea of this is, you know, every performance sport in the world there's playoffs and there's things that you have to have to achieve. We've just created a little bit more stakes. Yeah. 
And all of this has been designed kind of, as you said before, around the most important moment in the sport, which is our world champion determination and the big one, which is the WSL finals. But before we get to that, we're going to take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors. All right. The WSL finals are new single day world title event. Um, this is probably the most major fundamental change that we're announcing, right? Because we're radically transforming the nature in terms of how we determine world champions. We're radically doing it, but then also maybe not. And, and this has been kind of a discussion um, on the WSL side since, geez, since March, 2017. I've been working on it for a while with a, a big group of people inside the building. And full disclosure, I was probably like the most hardline, like anti-change person in the building um, all around the legitimacy component. And I remember it was Fiji 2017. They brought all the world champions uh, into one of the berets and all the contenders. And, and they talked about this idea. And to a person, every single one of them was like, this is awesome. This is awesome. And I was, I was shocked. You know, I didn't say much. Uh, I didn't say anything. I was shocked that, that they were so supportive. And, and it really transformed the way I looked at it in a lot of ways. And some of the things that have come out since then in that process, and I know we've picked it up in earnest in 2020, but have come from the surfers themselves. You know, um, the idea that I want to win the world title in the water based on my own performance, beating the other best surfers in the world. You know, I don't want to win it, you know, hiding in a locker room when my challenger goes down to a wild card or something. I don't want to win it before the season's over. And, and that was really um, insightful and, and obviously, um, enlightening for me on a lot of levels because it just proved to me that they love having the heightened conditions to perform under in a lot of ways and ultimately um you know the world title always comes down to a one heat every year and i think up until now we just have never known when that heat's going to be we don't know what the conditions are going to be leading up to it and now we do now we know how it's been designed we know when it's going to happen, we're going to know where it's going to happen. And we definitely know it's going to involve the best surfers every season battling one another for it. So it is really, really exciting, but it hasn't been an easy process in getting here. <laughs> uh, no, I, but you said it in the very beginning is changes. It's change. It's radical change. Uh, like I, I just, I guess I look at it where in a world that we know that is, so topsy-turvy and people are watching and consuming content in such a different way. If we just think that what we have is the right way and we didn't do anything, it's a bit shame on us. We have to create these moments. I think you and I were going back and forth watching the Michael Jordan uh, documentary during uh, the lockdown. And ultimately what we're creating is a platform for uh, these performances and what we're, we're making a stage. Uh, and I think about what Michael Jordan did uh, with the stage he was given. I, I know that probably sounds a little crazy, but like, you know, if the way, the, the level of surfing that's happening on this tour right now, you put those top five boys and top five girls and you give them that stage to have to fight it out for a world title, it's kind of like that, that's sort of what it's all about. Like it's, you know, waking up in the morning and knowing today's your day. And it's like, it's, I just kind of keep thinking about the stuff that Michael, like that entire thing that they were going through, it's so powerful. 
Um, well, it was it was all, it was such a coincidence that the Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, dropped kind of as we were having these conversations with the surfers because they kept bringing it up as a reference point. You know, where they're like, "Hey, like it is what it is. You could win every event in the entire season, but you still that only gets you your ticket to the show." You know, and and you still have to turn up on the day. And and I think it was John, I was talking to him about it. And he was just, he goes, you know, watching uh, Idolo and Gabrielle like battle it out at the last heat of the last event at the Pipe Masters with the world title on the line. He goes, this is the most exciting thing I've ever seen in surfing. And he was talking about it with like envy. He was like, I would love to know who I am and how I perform under those conditions, mm. you know, and that kind of seemed to be like a through line with a lot of these mega talent world champions and title contenders are like, yeah, no, that's how I want to win. Even talking to kind of Mick Fanning offhand about it. He's like, of course, of course you want to beat the next best surfer in the water in the last heat of the year. He goes, that's the ultimate in sport. And I think it's, it is really, really exciting. Um, but for our listeners, we we uh, we haven't exactly broken down how it's going to happen. So, do you want to break down who gets to go to this world title event, our WSL finals, and what the format is once they're there? Yeah, so it's going to be our top five men and our top five women. Um, and so uh, the format is the linear format. And so I don't expect anyone to understand that. But very simply, uh, the the fifth best surfer is going to surf against the fourth best surfer. The winner of that surfs against number three. The winner of that serves against two. And basically the person who's won the season rankings up to that point is seeded into the final. So I think it was really important as we develop this is that if you do have a lead and you are winning the season, that you get the benefit of, of being uh, of a preferential seeding. And so that is you're in the final. The final is then a three, uh, it's a best of three. So what's exciting about that, as you said, Dave, is that uh, the key things that we started with is you have to win a heat to actually win the, the world title. Um, you actually have to win two heats. But I think the, you know, and you get a benefit from the season you've had to, to date. And, uh, and what's exciting is the entire thing uh, from soup to nuts with men and women is, what, six and a half hours at the longest, depending on if both finals go best of three. So, you know, the beauty is we can tell people where and when as you said, we'd like it to be within a certain week every year at a different location. Uh, that is a big, that's a, a key topic. Uh, we want to take this to different places uh, and test the surfers in different types of waves. But ultimately, that's kind of how it's going to play out. Yeah, and I, and I know that was a huge part of it because we, we all wrestled with like, okay, how are we designing this? Does it have to come down to a single day? We ultimately decided that's the right way to do it. How do you do it where it's balanced between the, the five men and the five women that are there? Um, how do you provide advantages to people who would perform throughout the year? And it does boil down to that. You know, the, the rankings leader after the, um, after the final uh, championship tour event before the WSL finals is seated directly into a best two out of three finals. So they're already, they already have the world title on the line, you know. And the fifth, fourth, third, and second ranked surfers are seated sequentially um, and they have a shot, you know, and I think it's one of those things that if you're the fifth ranked surfer and, you know, any other year, you wouldn't have had a shot at the title at the end of the regular championship tour season. But if you are at a world-class wave and you're in do or die competition against the fourth best surfer in the world, the third best surfer in the world, the second best surfer in the world, and then you have to beat the best surfer in the world 
two out of three times and you win the world title in a single day, it's kind of amazing. Like that might be the most amazing thing that's ever happened in surf competition in a lot of ways. Um, and, and it's an interesting thing too. I think if you're the number one ranked surfer, there's also, I think we'll, we'll really see the psychology of these people. Like there's also something to be said about getting a few kind of competitive warmups on your way to the final, right? As opposed to having to kind of wait at the end of the line and think like, oh man, I got this sort of ax murderer coming through the field and coming for me and they've already figured the wave out and I'm going to come in cold. It's going to be really exciting. Yeah, I think people would be surprised how how seldom the top seeds actually do surf against each other too. Mm. And, and that was one of the things that we started to think. It's like, I think Jeremy Flores said it in one of the calls that was just great is like, he was like supportive of the idea of like, hey, let's move everybody aside and let them fight it out. Truly, the the people that are in contention should just go head to head and 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 battle it out. I think that is a uh, is really powerful. And and again, that's how you know other sports like everybody. You kind of move move to the side the whether it be wild cards or the sort of touring pros, and you just take you know, the, the top five, I just think the last man standing last women standing is going to be deserving of a world title because it will be about that day, but it's truly about the other 10 events that they performed in. They only get to be in this day because they performed for 10 events. So I think there was some, uh, questions about, Hey, like, is it legitimate if they just win the final day, they're not being seated into the final day. Mm. They've actually had to perform for 10 events to get the right to be at that particular event, I think that's a really important piece to, for sure. to the, not forget. Those are the best surfers of the year getting into that event yes. to battle one another. I, I, I completely agree with that. Now, you mentioned that the WSL Finals venue intends to rotate year over year, right? It's going to be a, a, you know, a single spot each year, but uh, we haven't announced where it's going to be in 2020. We've announced it's going to be in September, so it's always probably going to fall on that august september window um we have a game that we're going to get to in a minute but to play this game i need uh we're going to go back and forth and we're going to pick our four favorite well two apiece but ultimately our four favorite waves on the in the world for the wsl finals during that window so i'll let you go first if you if you had to and this is agnostic of any planning any sponsorship discussions any regional conversations just you and I have had these conversations a bunch, right? Um, I I have a weird thing for Lakey Peak because it's a left and a right. Um, I think it's really, really interesting. Uh, and and just to think about like, yeah, we want to make this fair. So Lakey Peak. Okay. Uh, I'm a goofy footer, so I'm going to go with macaronis if we're going to stay in Indonesia yep. for a minute. I think macaronis is um, one of the uh, most renowned and sort of universally accepted high performance waves on the planet whether you're a goofy footer a natural footer i think it's exciting i think there's barrels and turn section and air section so i'll go with that all right what's your second pick so i was gonna go with um so i sort of have two but i'm 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 gonna go with trestles um just because i think it's a rippable wave and it's close to home it may not be the most challenging wave uh but for both men and women it um and Right before I got on this podcast, I was watching the rewind of Felipe Toledo doing the floater where he walks up the board. It got me inspired, so it's on the front of my, it's on the, the top of my mind. I think it's, a, it's another high performance wave. Okay, so we've got, 
you got Lakey Peak, so it's a split peak. I put uh, macaronis, which is a left. You put trestles, which is another split peak. So I'll balance it out, and I will say um, Selena Cruz in that mm. time period, w- which is uh, where uh, the search event went when it was at Barra. Uh, it's a right-hander, um, but performative uh, kind of right-hander. So I'm going to save those, and then we're going to take <laughs> another quick break uh, to get a word in from our sponsors, and when we come back, we'll play a little game. So... We have a new segment. The lineup time machine involves you and I speculating on how the world title determination would have gone down in previous years with our forthcoming WSL finals format. So for today's time machine, we're going to take the year-end rankings from 2010 and we'll run the final five men and women through the WSL finals format and we'll speculate as to who's going to come out on top. Um, And we'll ask the question, what might have happened if the new format was in place back in 2010. So disclaimer for all our our hardcore fans out there, we're obviously aware that the year-end rankings don't take into account future schedules, formats, judging criteria, mid-season cuts, et cetera, et cetera. But we're operating the time machine based off of how those years finished at the time. But first things first, uh, the venue obviously plays a huge role in our speculation for how people are going to perform at that final event. And we haven't announced what the venue is going to be at 2021, but you and I just picked four venues um, that might be good in September in 2021. And I have placed them in Joel Parkinson's original world title cup. <laughs> now there's a whole story as to how I, this is in my possession, of course you did. Um, yeah. which we can talk about at a later date, but I've got all four. So I'm going to mix these guys around. This is good audio for all the fans at home. It's a big broken grass ball. I'm happy with any of these. Oh, (laughs) scandal. Oh, Selena Selena Cruz. Cruz. I wasn't prepared for that one. This is good. That's a good one, though. This is good. All right. Okay. So the venue we're going to play the time machine on is Selena Cruz, which for our listeners who are not aware of what it is, Pat, break down the wave if if you had to describe it to someone who'd never been there. Beautiful right sand point um, can go from sort of rippable, better sort of trestles to complete sort of cura below sea level barrels. So uh, can be performance. It's a bit of you can have performance, but it's also got two rides mixed in. Uh, Certainly different tides uh, play a factor as well. Excellent breakdown. Okay, so we're going to go through the 2010 year-end rankings for a theoretical WSL finals held at Selena Cruz, right-hand point break. Before we get into it, the number six surfers on both the women's and men's sides miss out. And I thought it'd be interesting to uh, to name them. So on the women's side, Chelsea Hedges misses out on the WSL finals at Selena Cruz in 2010. And on the men's side, B. Durbage misses out. What are your thoughts on both of them as it pertains to Selena Cruz just missing out on being in the WSL finals? Well, there's one thing that's somewhat scandalous in this entire operation. There's not one goofy foot in the draw. So Chelsea would be the only goofy foot in this entire conversation. So something's happening there, dude. (laughs) Well, and she's also, Um, both of them are Gold Coast kind of like, staples i think actually chelsea's originally from avalon but she she lived on the gold coast she lives on the gold coast so they know their way around a right hand point break and i think they could be particularly lethal at selena cruz so it's a it's a shame they missed out and i think as you pointed Mm -hmm. out being a goofy footer in the draw being the lone goofy footer in the draw that point of difference helps on the judging side for sure 
Without a doubt, actually, that's a really that's a really good point, Dave. Is um, you know, point of difference between the two, um, and that is a big part of um, professional surfing. You know, it is it, you you start to get into these battles as they're laid out. It's um, it can be pretty tight, and um, yeah, the, it, this is a very very interesting draw, man. There's no clear cut winner. This is here. good, and and again, is we have so so. Here's what's interesting: is this is 2010. So are we transporting ourselves back and are yes, we yes, going, yes, yes. because a lot of these people are still at pretty close to the top of their game today. So, uh, which is great for all of them 10 years later that they're still as good as they That's are. That's pretty fun. I, I'm going to say though, that for the purposes of the time machine, since we're making the rules up as we, as we go along here, yes, it should be the 2010 versions of these contestants. Jesus. Tricky. Okay. I know. Yes. Okay, so with that being said, match one between the women will be the number five women surfer, which is Peru's Sofia Milanovic versus the number four women surfer at the end of the year rankings, Brazil's Silvana Lima out at Selena Cruz. Do we know when did Sofia win her world title? She was 05, 06, I think. Okay, so she's a few years off of that. Yeah. I've always thought Sophia was better on her backhand. Mm. Um, I think Silvana is really good on her forehand. I think that uh, I, I, w- I would lean on Silvana for that. If this was a left, I would go the other way. But seeing that if this is a right, I'm, I'm going to say Silvana's got the upper hand. I, I tend to agree with you there. Um, and Sophia, amazing backhand. She's got a really good forehand too. I think at a wave like Selena Cruz, you know, if it's big and solid and barreling or if it's small and rippable, I think the speed of Silvana um, on her forehand compared to Sofia is going to be a point of difference. And I think Silvana as well, like she's um, in- famous for getting like very, very good barrels out of Honolulu Bay. So she can she can ride the tube as well. So I think that's uh, I'm with you on that pick for match one. Yep. Uh, match two. Uh, which is the first match for the men is uh, is actually interesting because both of these guys tied at number four at the end of the year. So it wasn't five and four. It was four and four. I think the split decision wow. split uh, Western Australia's Taj Burrow uh, into the fifth seed and uh, Ventura's Dane Reynolds into the fourth seed. See, this is what's so rad about this new, uh, about this idea, Right. Because I could argue Dane could run the entire, Dane could be a world champion. Sure. Like just like dead silence. Just think about that for a second because Dane gets into this final five. These are the five, four other best surfers in the world. This is an extremely difficult day, but Jesus, Dane Reynolds on the final day, Taj never won a world title. Same thing for him. Like this is. Dane never won a CT. He never won a CT. Never won a CT. This, this is a hard Jesus. one. It's a hard one at Selena Cruz because Taj got that crazy barrel when the search went there in 2005. When did Dane fall off tour? When did he decide he was done? Ah, man, I think it was 2011 was the city tour when we went to Rio, uh, yeah. New York, and San Fran, which funny enough, those were like the best waves we got all year. Um, and I think yeah. he was kind of disinterested then. And then I think 2012, he wasn't on tour. Okay. But I think 2010 um, is kind of like, I want to say like 2008 to 2010 is maybe like peak Dane Reynolds. Because remember later in the year, or actually earlier in the year before this, I guess, at Puerto Rico, I mean, shoot, he's, he was bananas. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah he's, he's fourth in the world this year. So he's clearly in, uh, he's in. 
for the sake of this conversation, I'm going to say Dane because I just think it's so interesting to see how this will play out. But I, it's a yeah. hard one. Dude, I, this this is why it's great. It's, it's super really hard. hard. Like I, I, th- I mean, I'll, I'll put it this way: like if the WSL finals in 2010 is at like firing four to six, six to eight foot Selena Cruz, and the opening heats are Sophia versus Silvana, and then Taj versus Dane, I'm a happy camper. I'm watching all day. I'd agree. I think I will give it to Dane for a lot of reasons, which are consistently discussed on this podcast. And also because it's closer to me than Taj Burrow. But I think Taj is amazing. And I think that would be like a huge uh, upset as well. Like Dane taking Taj out in the first heat, which is exciting. Yeah. All right. So match three is the number three ranked uh, woman at the end of the year, which would have been Carissa Moore taking on the winner of the first match of the morning, which is Silvana Lima. So Carissa Moore versus Silvana Lima at firing Selena Cruz. I think Carissa gets that uh, most every day. I think this is where... Carissa just sort of, um, I'm not sure when her first world title is, but um, I, I think this is this is as close to where she would start to really rev her engines. And Carissa is all about these big moments. I, I think that's the one thing about uh, we've seen from Carissa is the bigger the stage, the the more she prepares. So uh, I I would have a hard time betting against Carissa for anything. Yeah, she so that season in 2010, she started really slow. Like she got two ninths on the Gold Coast and Bells, and then she won in New Zealand at Taranaki and just kind of blitzed the field. She got a fifth in Sydney. She got a, a, a 17th in Lima, which was it's like Sao Bartolo. It was like the weirdest event I've ever yeah, done. I saw, yeah. <laughs> it was really, it was bizarre. <laughs> um, and then she got uh, first in Portugal, uh, second in Puerto Rico, and then finished with a, a fifth at Sunset Beach. So I think the form that she had that year, and, and meanwhile, funny enough, Silvana uh, started the season with three fifths. Uh, she got a third at Sydney. She won at Sao Bartolo and then finished the season with three fifths. So she had like a radically consistent season. But I'm with you. I think in um, I think in those conditions, I think Carissa Carissa takes Silvana uh, to advance to the next round. So in match four, <laughs> we have the third ranked man of the year, which was uh, Mick Fanning, 2010 Mick Fanning, going up against the winner of our our match two, uh, which is Dane Reynolds. Dude, really? I'm a huge McFanning fan. I'm just Sandy right hand point break. I yeah, I I just have a hard time betting against him. Uh, it's really one of those things where if Dane could go one of two ways, he could literally go through the sky, or he could just fall apart in his heat. Um, where I know Mick is going to get at least two eight fives, maybe more. Does you know it's sort? This is poker, Dave. <laughs> 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 does uh does uh does dane beat two two pocket nines um yeah geez it's so conditions I, based for me like because dane dane is really so many edits going down there surfing everything from kind of like tiny right? tiny points to kind of pumping points and geez i i, I think that it kind of plays into it for me i think the pressure thing too I don't know how much pressure Dane's going to feel kind of isolated at Selena Cruz for the WSL finals. Certainly he pressure on the day, right? With a world right? title on the line. And I think that's something that he he doesn't necessarily like. Um, speculation. Whereas Mick kind of uses it as fuel. But I guess if we're saying it's firing because we're kind of fan casting this, then I kind of, I, I kind of think I'll give it to Mick 
um, because of the psychological advantage is my, my, my choice. You can split it with me. I'm going to give it to Mick because of the, the psychological advantage of, of the world title being on the line for the day and his familiarity in, in firing right hand points. Yeah. And this is kind of goes back to the idea of we're creating this, this stage where, um, it, it really is people who are up for this moment. I, I think romantically, I love the idea of Dane running the field. I just think when you get to those moments, I think Mick is, Mick's going to have pocket eights or nines every time. And so, um, you know, Dane would have to really perform. And I think Mick would, would certainly get a couple scores early and put some pressure on him. And, uh, it would be on on Dane to do backflips, and if he makes it, then he's he's into next round. But I think uh, if I'm a betting man, it's probably going to Mick. So my my only caveat on that one too is I think it was I might have been 2010. I was like, hold on, I can look it up here. I think it was 2010. There was this like two to three foot snap of rocks, low tide round four bout between Dane and Parco. I think it was. Oh my God, I saw that. That was the best surfing I'd ever seen at that time. Like Parco was blazing and Dane just, it was like, I think it was like 18 to 19. And I remember, I remember like freaking out. I'm like, that was amazing. I even got shit because of the press release title I wrote on the day. It said Dane detonates at Quicksilver Pro Gold Coast. Um, people didn't like that. But he did. Uh, yeah, he did. It's, I, I stand by it. He literally, Ten years he later. literally just looked like he was doing whatever he wanted. His bo- I've never seen someone's board completely glue. It looked like a video game. It was rad. And it was like, it, it was all glassy and kind of like green, blue water. It was just, they surfed, both of them surfed so well. And I remember we kind of, I think we called it off after that, like a, a, or shortly after that. It was right before the evening. It was in the evening, right? It yeah, was it, like was, a, it was later in the day, afternoon. but it wasn't a whole day because I remember walking down, um, Boundary Street, um, like going somewhere or something. And Rod Brooks, uh, who is at Quicksilver at the time, Rod Brooks, amazing guy. Got to get him on the podcast. He, he'd had a few drinks and he like, he kind of like walked up to me and he goes, did you feel it? And I'm like, did I feel what? He goes, the world changed the world today. And I'm like, changed. fuck yeah, Rod, I did feel the world changed today. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes. See, those guys, those guys were the best, man. That is, that is, uh, Rod Brooks is an amazing guy, man. Just that emotion and like that response from that heat. Uh, that's exactly what's missing. <laughs> okay, cool. So we're, we're both with Mick though. We're going to run with Mick on that one. Yep. Okay. So match five is the number two ranked surfer uh, at the end of the women's season up against uh, the winner from match three, which is Carissa Moore. So Sally Fitzgibbons versus Carissa Moore. I just, this, uh, and I just my head goes straight back to their finals that they've had multiple times now at Honolulu Bay where Chris seems to get the better of it. And I hate to say it because I think Sally is at this point, the best uh, female surfer in the world that hasn't won a world title. She's put herself in the position. She's absolutely amazing. And for whatever reason, it just hasn't gone her way. In fact, you know, I think back to that rainy day in Maui, I like literally was almost in tears for her. And in this case, I think, again, like Chris is a now she's a four time world champion. She's shown that she um, is going to push past that that moment in firing waves, which we've seen them both in. I think they both have a good chance, but I think Carissa gets the nod. I'm with you. Um, and I love Sally surfing. And I think it's one of those things like like Sally. I remember the year she qualified. Um, so they always start on the Gold Coast. Um, and it was really small for the opening rounds, non-elimination round one. 
And we went over the hill and surfed at D-Ball. And I remember standing on the hill and I was around like Steph and a couple other um, of the top 17. And Sally was just blazing these little peaks, like surfing so much faster than everyone and just like so much power, kind of like, um, kind of like, you know, how like Rob isn't like the biggest guy, Rob Machado, but he surfs so fast that he's like a power surfer because he's able to do that. Like that was Sally. Um, and I just, and she's, to me, she's only just gotten better as a surfer, but the field has gotten that much better. And, you know, that year she went fifth, third, second, 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 fifth, third, and fourth. She couldn't win. Couldn't win a CT that year. And I think kind of what you're saying, uh, Carissa won two CTs that year and she was like ascendant. And I think, uh, I think given their history, I, I give that one to Carissa as well. Yeah. It's interesting. She didn't win that year. I, I think that's, uh, you know, and it goes back to our Dane, uh, Dane from the McFanning heat, you know, those are really important stats. There's certain people who, when they get to the, to the end, they win. Um, and certainly I think that will play a, a, a part of our future discussions. So match six is the number two ranked surfer from 2010 up against the winner of our match four bout, which is Jordy Smith as the number two ranked surfer versus Mick Fanning, who just beat Dane Reynolds. <laughs> okay. You're the master of stats. Um, tell me how, how many events did Jordy win that year? Jordy won. It was the first year that he won J-Bay in his back-to-back year. So he won 2010 and 2011. So he won hmm. J-Bay. He also finished runner-up on the Gold Coast. And he also finished runner-up in Portugal. So those were like the highlights for him that year. And Mick? Mick won in... Where did he win? Did he win at Trestles that year? Um, no, he won in France that year. He got a third at Trestles. I think that was okay. the year. So he had kind of a slow start. He got like, he went ninth. I think he finished runner up to Parco at Bells. And then he went ninth, ninth, ninth. And then he kind of, and then he hit third at Trestles. And I think that's when he was riding Chloe's board, the mayhem at that event. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember this. It's hard not to just fall back on the results from the year, mm. you know, like, um, and sort of just go, well, Jordy was obviously, you know, he was rated one higher. Um, but but I, I, I sort of get into this, like, Mick has won three world titles. Um, and so when those big moments happen, you know, like, Jordy's stature is so, he's such a big guy. So when the waves are good and big, like, I look at Jordy at sunset and just think he should win every time, you know, if he gets waves. Um, but I think at this right point, you know, the reason I was kind of lay, uh, like the J-Bay thing, because Selena Cruz could be looked at as like a sandbar J-Bay. Um, but I think unless it's really big, I think Mick has a huge advantage. He's just a little bit more compact. Jordy can throw, push more water around, but um, I, I kind of have a hard time seeing past the fact is big moments. Mick has in his career shown that he is uh, all about those big moments. So, so I may, I may go towards Mick over, over Jordy. That's funny. So I, I thought you were going to go Jordy on this one and I was like, I'm going to go Mick. So we're going to split the difference here. I don't know. Like it, this was kind of a weird, so, so Mick wins the world title 2007 wins again in 2009. And then he kind of has a dip, you know, he's a two-time world Ooh. champ. He's in the mix challenging Kelly. There was all this pressure around Kelly getting 10 world titles in 2010. It's a big thing. And I remember he just kind of had a sleeper year. Like he kind of had all those nights. 
it looked like he sparked back up when he was riding those mayhems at trestles. He won the next event in France. And I, I, I want to say that it, it changed him, but then he kind of didn't, he didn't challenge again for the world title for a few years. You know what I mean? Like, hmm. well, he did, he always challenged, I guess, but he didn't win one. I guess is my point. Yeah. But yeah, like the Jordy thing too, like I, I, he could easily win. I just think knowing what we know about Mick now, I give it to Mick at the time. Yeah. I think honestly I think- in the moment, like if we were on the beach and you were like, who's going to win this heat, Jordy or Mick? I'm like Mick for sure. But yeah, it's it's funny because I or Jordy I for think, sure is what I would have said. Jordy for sure. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, you know, in the moment I probably would have said it's going to be Jordy because of his performance and he was young coming up and this is his moment of reckoning. Like this was kind of like uh, the thing that I think we all thought, like, okay, Jordy's going to win world titles, um, and that's probably where my head would have been then. It's it's it is a little bit hard to have this after it's the it's obviously happening. These careers are either you know, it's 10 years from there because Mick did win three world titles, you know? And so you kind of go on a whole body of work. It's really hard to, I think that's the difficulty is putting yourself in 2010. (laughs) But yeah, I I would say just based on that experience, I I would have to say, you know, put, give Mick the nod in that. And, and again, as I do think waves matter, you know, like if it's sort of big and, and like, I kind of think of it being, more sunset than Kira, yeah. if you will, like sort of, then I think Jordy just has the power and the lines that he's going to draw. I think sometimes it bells like on those big days and he's able to just do those big arcs and stuff. I think those, uh, we talked a little bit about point of difference. Mm. He has that over the field actually. So Jordy has that for sure. You know, if it's like that, I, you know, and again, in the moment in 2010, I probably would have said Jordy, but seeing where, having this conversation in 2020, I'm going to lean on Mick. I'm the same. I'm the same. But I, I'm I'm still counting both of their performances on the day in 2020. I just think the things I've learned about who Mick was in 2020 and who Mick, who Jordy was in 2020 give Mick the nod for me a little bit, just barely. Yep. Yeah, on the beach, I would have been flying the Jordy flag for sure. All right, women's final. So this is a two out of three final. And this is the number one ranked surfer of the year, Stephanie Gilmore versus our challenger who's mowed through the field, Carissa Moore. Who takes the women's world title and how many heats does it take? It has to go three, dude. I'm with you. It's going it three. To. This one's going three. Who gets who gets which who gets which heat? So the the initial thing is um if Steph Gilmore is is uh I mean, if she's not the the most the best women's professional surfer. I think that that that's a, a real debate. I think she probably is historically. Um, and you basically put her in the dream scenario, right? She's the number one seed going into a right point, which is literally the thing that she's the very best at. My uh, so so look, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna say that she wins the first one of the of the three. She starts off in the lead. Carissa will come back and get the second one. And now I think it's really about the final heat. That that would be, that's how I think it plays out. I don't know where it goes, Dave. I just, Chris is so damn competitive. She is so competitive. Um, but I, I do think it, it works like that. I think Steph starts off and get gets out and, and puts a lead out on her. And then Carissa is like, you're not going to take it that fast and gets the second one. I think it's the third heat that's going to decide it. You got to pick, man. That's part of the time machine. Do you want to just write them on a piece of paper and pick out of the thing like you did? 
No, I want you to, I want you to pick and then I'm going to pick. <laughs> I'm going to say Steph. I think it's a right point. I would have a hard time betting against Stephanie in a, in the right point. I'm, I'm with you that my point of difference, I think that Carissa wins the first heat. I think, I think there's something in it when you haven't surfed and you, all the adrenaline's been going all day and you go in there and, and I think, you know, Steph looking at Carissa as a challenger coming onto the scene and, and getting a little bit rattled by Carissa kind of mowing through, um, Silvana and Sally and probably ripping like on the day. I think she comes in a little cold, but then I think she comes back in the second and third heats and, and takes her out. I mean, Steph that year, she won gold coast. Bell's Beach, Sydney, and Puerto Rico. She was like on fire. She won the world title in Puerto Rico before the final event of the year. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's how I see it playing out. I, same winner, just slight, slight difference on the sequencing. Wow. Men's final. This just shows why it's exciting though, because everything that you just said puts us in a place where these matchups matter. And the location is perfect for what we're talking. This is exactly why it's exciting. Oh, I'm pumped. Because, yeah, it's like I just kind of keep envisioning what these matchups are. And sort of I think you may be right about how the sequencing goes. But I think the result is there. I don't think, uh, you know, maybe Steph comes in cold, whatever it is. I just think that nobody runs the field. I'm with you. I mean, I, I and this is fun. I actually think Rip, Shul, Rip Curl should pay Steph a, like a world title bonus just based on our fan fiction in this podcast. <laughs> it's pretty fun. Uh, All right, last one. Men's final. Kelly Slater versus the challenger, Mick Fanning, for best two out of three. And for perspective, Mick has had to surf against Dane Reynolds and Jordy Smith to come to a uh, Kelly Slater at, as the final boss at Selena Cruz. Yeah. 2010 versions of themselves. Yeah, I'm not going to bet against Kelly. That's for sure. Um, I I think that Kelly gets it, and I think he gets it. I I think he might even get it in two heats just because he's such a freak. Um, I think at that point, Mick's had a few heats. He surfed over, you know, he surfed probably an hour at least. Uh, He's going up against a a fresh Kelly. Um, And... uh, I just have a fee. Well, Kelly was so, he was so dominant at that time. You know, like I, I remember that uh, event in um, when he won his 10th in San Francisco, he was finding barrels. He was doing things that a lot of people weren't right. He just is, he's such a magician. Uh, he had that sort of Tom Curran thing where something magic would happen every time it needed to for Kelly. I think he would need to pull out the magic, but I, I certainly think that he would, I certainly think he's going to take that heat. You're not going to, you're not there. I, I, I agree with everything you said. I mean, he was so dominant in 2010. He, he won Bell's Beach. He finished second in Santa Catarina, Jadson Andre. He uh, was um, third at Chopu, first at Trestles, uh, second in France you know, first in Portugal, first in Puerto Rico, like third at pipeline, like he was on fire. Like he was, mm. he was so, so dominant. I think if, if there is like, what do they, what do they call it? Sliding doors, you know, when like, what if something else happened or like the butterfly effect, yep. you know, something else happened. If there were ever a scenario for Kelly to not win his 10th and for Mick it's Fanning Selena to Cruz win his Mick third, Fanning. it's Mick Fanning storming the field 
and beating the Young Bucks in Dane Reynolds and Jordy Smith at a sandbar right-hand point break in Mexico. And I think that's what happens. I, I think I think Mick comes out and, and what's the it's like um what's Rocky three where Rocky had to slim down and fight Clubber Lane, like comes out fast, <laughs> you know, like hits him real yeah. fast and like and like uh-huh. surprises him. He gets a win and then and then Kelly comes back and he wins the second heat, and then I think it's just a full shootout. And I'll just give it to Mick just just to see history change a little bit. But I agree Gosh, with everything I, you said. I'm just I'm just gonna be a point of difference. So I'm fucking psyched. I can't wait for the WSL finals to happen every year and we get to do this every year. We're definitely going to have more time machines before it happens, but that was a lot of fun. Um, Before we go, uh, we did put out to our Instagram listeners a bit of fan mail. um, And I think you and I are going to tag team these questions. So first question I will ask to you, Pat, is from Instagram. And the question is, how will the QS start next year if no events run this year? How will it start? It will start, uh, it will be a combined 2020 and 21 season. So uh, whatever has happened in 20, uh, you'll, everybody's keeping the same points. It's just basically one giant long season. Um, I hope that's helpful. I think that helps. Um, okay, I've got one for you. Uh, Magan, M-A-G-I-N-N, asked, are there going to be any contests held in the second half of 2020, Dave? That's a good question. So as we announced today, the CT is officially canceled for 2020. We're going to try to start up the 2021 season in the November, December Hawaii slots of this year. The QS is also uh, canceled until the Triple Crown tentatively. But we are going to be running uh, what we're calling the WSL Countdown, which are a uh, series of exhibition events. We've got some in, in North America, we've got some in Europe and some in Australia. So they will be a variety of formats and they'll feature uh, the CT surfers as kind of a preseason teaser uh, ahead of when uh, the championship tour restarts. All right, got another one for you. The Real G Reg asks, when is the CT coming back to Long Beach, New York? Last time it was there was 2011. I can't wait. I can't wait. The real deal. Uh, nothing, uh, nothing in the works today, but certainly if uh, you'd like us to come, let's start talking because uh, New York is cool, man. Um, I wasn't around for that, but that looks like, yeah, it looked like a lot of fun. I was. It was a trip. But yeah, that was exciting. Um, okay, Dave. Uh, I keep getting these really strange names. It could tell. <laughs> Anyways. Yes, he has, um, or she has asked, there's been a lot of uh, talk about a final day showdown. What is the final straw that made that decision happen? Mm, that's a good question. I don't know if there is a final straw. You know, I think as we talked about on this podcast, you know, we've been working on this for a few years and having that conversation. And I think it was around how do we create the most exciting moment in surfing? How do we treat the most important moment in our organization is sacred and how do we design it um, to really see the world's best surfers surfing against each other. And it was always part of our plan. I think you and I have been talking about it in earnest since you took the post. When we saw it happen organically um, and coincidentally last year at Pipe between Italo and Gabrielle in the final uh, heat of the season, um, I think that really pushed us over the line. I think the the audience numbers that we saw and the return on investment for our partners was so, so high, which really fed into our, our, 
our hypothesis on what we wanted to do moving forward. And so I think that kickstarted us into, into pushing for that. And, you know, the pandemic and, and having to pause in 2020 um, allowed us to really work through that and work through a lot of the conversations. So there wasn't really a final straw, but I think it was just a series of things that was leading to this, uh, this informed innovation that were, uh, as, as expressed in the time machine, really yes. psyched about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cody JP asks, where can I find Endless Summer 2 on? I presume you mean streaming. Yes. Um, well, uh, you can illegally watch it on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not the answer people want, but yep, that is the truth. Uh, someone sent me the link the other day. That's good. You don't get those internet dollars, though, if they watch it on YouTube. I get so much interdollar. Like I get Park. so much money from, yes. yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> They're just, the money's rolling in, Dave. So yeah, <laughs> please actually go to YouTube and watch it. Um, okay, I finally got one. Sam Ste- Sneed, Steed? Sam Steed uh, asked Dave if it's ever too late to start surfing. He is 32 years old. Uh, no way. I don't think. <laughs> I, I would, I would uh, start surfing now. Surf forever. I don't know. I mean, Kelly Slater's 47, so... If you're 32, you still have 15 years to win a bunch of world titles. No worries. Kelly Sitter's 48. He's the same age as I am. Dude. 48. Good correction. Yeah. yeah. 16 yeah. years. You got 16 years to win. A, he's only got 11 <laughs> world titles, man. You got five years to practice and then 11 to get it. Easy. All right. Final question from the real Sean YD. Real Sean ED? I don't know. Pat, how are you so jazzed up all the time? It's uh, it's called coffee, man. I just drink way too much coffee. Dave knows. Um, yeah, naturally, you know the the the. I grew up in Chicago, man. Uh, I never thought I'd be sitting here getting to talk about surfing my whole life. So uh, we're pretty fortunate to uh, to be able to do this. So I think that's part of it. I wake up and I'm like, dude. Really? <laughs> Actually, the fact that I'm saying "dude" from Chicago is says a lot. But yeah, man, just get out there and make it happen every day. And I think uh, it, it's a uh, perpetual motion keeps you happy. You do like a lot of coffee, man. I'm surprised we haven't like started your own Pat O'Connell strain yet. With something. We, now, that, <laughs> now that this announcement's out, we can work on it. It can be our next project. We can work on it. We got time. Stoked. We got time. We, got, we can wait, wait till December. We're going to have a new coffee thing. <laughs> we'll need it. So that's all we have. That was really fun. Um, what's next? I don't know. All right. Thank you very much, Pat. We'll look forward to talking to you on the podcast again soon. And you and I will probably start texting immediately after this. So thank you so much for coming on. It was a lot of fun. Cheers, Dave. So that's it. That's the lineup presented by Michelob Ultra Pure Gold conversation with newly minted lineup regular Pat O'Connell. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you're excited for the world's best surfing to return live. This episode was produced by Ryan Fawcett with artwork designed by Jason Penning. Thanks to both of them. And thanks to our sponsors, Michelob Ultra Pure Gold, BF Goodrich, and Volcom Eyewear. We really appreciate their support. And thanks to our listeners. Please send us any and all feedback. It only makes us better. In addition to the challenges that have confronted us in 2020, the global economic uncertainties, and the long overdue focus on racial injustice, COVID-19 continues to plague countries everywhere. The CDC's identified symptoms for COVID-19 include runny nose, sore throat, fever, cough, and shortness of breath. If you're not feeling well, call your doctor. And the World Health Organization's behavioral recommendations that everyone should follow. Wash your hands, avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. If you have to cough or sneeze, do so into your elbow. Social distancing, avoid groups of 10 or more people, and stay away from everyone as much as you can. 
If you're not feeling well, get checked out as soon as possible. And if you can work from home, do it. And a massive thank you to the essential workers out there from hospital staff, grocery workers, delivery drivers, firemen, and everyone out there working through the pandemic to keep people safe. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.